0: to be preaching from um, Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Them for that town thank
1: you. so we are in Luke chapter 10 and uh, again glad to be among family among friends and people that are dear um, thank you for your friendship your partnership in the gospel through the years and your faithfulness as this body of believers to me and our family and to God's work, more importantly, to God's work um, that he's doing in us. And right here in Ringgold also. And so thank you for that. Um, so let me uh, pray again. Um, uh, not just, these aren't just transition prayers. Um, these are genuine requests. And so let me, uh, let me just ask the Lord to use his word and to use me, his messenger today. Father. We do ask that by your word that you would equip your people. Lord, that may begin with a seed in the heart, an attitude that needs to be changed. Lord, let it begin in our hearts and move to our feet, move to our hands, move to our mouths, move to our workplaces, Our homes, our neighborhoods, and to the ends of the earth. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So in Luke chapter 10, I'm just going to throw two things out there at first for us to consider. And I put in my notes that these are two problems. I don't know if they're problems. But they are two things to consider as we approach a text, like Kimberly just read, in the midst of a missions month. One is, in our text today, we have to ask the question, is this even for us? Or was this just a special apostolic mission, not to be repeated, it's just there to see how they did things? Or... Maybe you would say this is just for missionaries. And most of us in the technical sense, most of you sitting here, in the technical sense of going and putting your life into a foreign culture and planting the gospel are not called to be missionaries. So is this text maybe just for those missionaries? And then the second issue is, the second issue is, It's really easy in the Christian community to think that when I hear a good sermon, when I hear good teaching, when I hear something that's truthful, when I hear it and I agree with it, it stirs something in my heart that is in agreement with it, for that to be as far as it goes. What I mean by that is that faith is not just hearing something that you agree with, and it's not just being stirred by it, and it's not just knowing the details of a text or a passage. It's not just filing away some theological, systematic theology in our minds. The goal of the Word of God is that we would know God. And that in-knowing God, we would know us. And that in-knowing God in us, we would know how to live in this world according to the way He has made us and for the purposes that He has saved us for. You see, it's real easy to enjoy getting together on a Sunday morning with people that are minded and agreeing with the songs and singing them wholeheartedly. And it's real easy. It's real easy to hear something taught and then say, I don't know if I agree with that or not, or that, that wasn't, or yes, preacher, preach it. It's real easy for that to be true. It's real easy to hear about missions and agree with it 100% and ignore your neighbor. Or refuse you see the cost of being a disciple who is on mission with God right where you're at and to the ends of the earth. It's real easy to just say, yeah, I agree with it, but that looks a little too costly. I don't want us to do that. I don't want to do that. So... For the first problem or issue before we talk through the text is this just apostolic is this just an apostolic instruction for the 12 for the 70 in jesus's ministry and not really for us well this is the second instruction that he gives he he has given instruction to the 12 and sent them out and then he gives instruction to the 70 or the 72 and sends them out and those two instructions and sending out are almost identical except for the number of people who he was sending out and and what I see in that is that there's there's a in that similarity there's really a pattern that we're supposed to see there's something Jesus wants us to see in what he's doing here you know like we we would all agree we would all agree that we should listen to and obey the words of Jesus we should we should Take his words serious. But Jesus come in the flesh. He was incarnated. And so it's not just his words what he taught. But we're also to observe his ways. His words and his ways. And what we find in this is a pattern. That he's teaching us with his words. And he's showing us his way. Okay. So, So I think that. This is a model we see the book of Acts we can we can see in the book of Acts these missionary teams around Paul kind of walking in this same kind of pattern that is set as he Jesus sends out here. When they engage a city, you can follow along some of the same rhythms that Jesus sets out here and so, I would say it's something that we need to learn. It's a, it's a piece of ministry. It's some instruction in some ways that will help us think about how do we engage lostness in our context. I think it's helpful for us. So then we take it and say, okay, well, well that's okay if I give you that, that it's a helpful pattern. Is it just for the missionaries? In other words, is there anything for you and I to learn for everyday life and evangelism Right here in Ringo, Georgia. Or is this just a framework for engaging the missionary context? Framework for going into a foreign culture. And, and I would just say this. I, I think in general it is a framework for engaging a new area. It In general it is Jesus teaching them how to take the gospel message into a new area. But that, if you're sitting here and you're not, someone who's called to cross-cultural missions, I don't think that lets us off the hook in this passage. I don't think Jesus would say, you don't have to listen to this. Because I also believe this, that what it means for you and I, serving no matter where we're at as the body of Christ, is there's some things that we should learn about how to engage the culture we're living in. It's been rightly said... It's been rightly said that mission mission work should be only a change of location, not a change of lifestyle. Meaning this, you and I should be engaging our context, no matter where it's at. Most of you are, are here because you live in Ringgold, and this is your home context. You should be engaging Ringgold, Georgia, and Catoosa County as kingdom ambassadors faithfully. That's why you're here as a church. You should be engaging Ringgold. Ringgold should have better access to the gospel and the knowledge of Jesus and God's kingdom because you live in it. And if God calls you to do what you're already faithfully doing in Ringgold into another culture, it will just be, you may have to learn some new nuances to your skill, but it will just be transferring what you're already doing to engage Ringgold into a foreign culture. Okay, You get what I'm saying? And so I don't think that we can just ignore this and say that's just for the missionaries. I think there's some principles here that Jesus would have us realize no, that's for all of us as disciples who take seriously Jesus' command to make disciples of all the nations. Okay, And that's the attitude I want us to talk through this text through. So in the text, we're going to draw out faithfully and apply it faithfully the teaching here that applies to you and I. And you let the Spirit of God speak to you of how it applies to your life specific and what it should do from stirring in your heart to stirring in your actions. Okay? And then in the end, we're going to just ask ourselves, in light of this teaching, in light of what Jesus shows us here, his words and his ways, what am I going to do differently? Am I going to take something here, and is my actions in my workplace, in my home, in my community, in our schools, are my actions going to be changed by what Jesus shows us about what he's up to? So let's walk through this passage together. Look again with me at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. It says this, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, into his harvest. Here's the first thing that we can learn here because Jesus' statement, his observation is still true today. In light of laborers being few and in light of the harvest being plentiful, we should be a people who pray. And we should be a people who are laboring for the kingdom. And we should be a people who are considering, if God tells me to go to some unreached area, I'll go. What did, what, did he, what did he say? The harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. And what that says to you and I, that we pray. And then what says to you and I, if we follow Jesus, is say, if I'm going to pray for this to happen, I've got to be a willing, as his disciple, to be an answer to my very prayers. In other words, in light of the harvest being plentiful in Ringgold, Georgia, you ought to pray that more laborers will be sent. And you ought to be a laborer sent. And if God stirs in you to say, not just Ringo, Georgia, like he did me six years ago, not in Ringo, Georgia, you go to this place and you make disciples for my glory. Then you as a disciple, be willing to count the cost and go. Be willing to count the cost and go. So, what is this harvest? Let's define a couple of terms in this. This harvest. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says. This harvest is in times gathering, both positive and negative. In other words, there's spoken of a day, a day of allure, the Lord, a day of judgment, a day of, of, of the season of that we've been in changing. God drawing it to a close and beginning a new era. There's a day coming, and that's going to be positive. In other words, that's the day where he'll gather his children into his eternal kingdom, and the new heaven and the new earth. But that's also going to be negative in the sense of those found outside of that kingdom will face their ultimate judgment. All hope will be gone. So it's negative and positive, and it's an end time reality and both are present in this passage he says he says go go share the kingdom go show them the kingdom go go speak peace of the kingdom go go call the lost sheep into the kingdom and if they won't receive your message if they won't receive the kingdom shake the dust off and warn them that the kingdom has come near and that it's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than it will be for them who have rejected Christ and his kingdom. So we see the positive and the negative. But what I also want to point out here is that in our theme verse for this month, Jesus says in John four thirty five, Do you not say there are yet four more months? Then comes the harvest. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are currently white for harvest. They're currently white for harvest. What what Jesus says here is a present tense reality is that the harvest that's present now is plentiful. The problem is the laborers to bring the harvest in is few. That's a reality, that's a present tense reality. And so if it wasn't COVID-19, this is what I'd have you do. I would have you turn to your neighbor and say something, but I know that scares us to death. dead. So what I want you to hear is this, the harvest work is now. And we work in the harvest now in light of the ultimate harvest that is one day. I want you to hear that. We work in the harvest now that's present in light of that coming harvest that's going to be eternal. In light of the consequences of those found outside of the kingdom. In light of Jesus said he will build his church. In light of God designed and desired and created humans so that he would have a people for himself and that's what he's doing is still gathering a people for himself in light of that eternal reality we walk into Ringo, Georgia and to the ends of the earth today realizing there's a harvest that's plentiful and there's laborers that are few and then the second question is so that's the harvest the second The second question to kind of clarify there is what is the laborer's job? Why are the laborers few? What, what, What are the laborers supposed to do? Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. Isn't the harvest his? Yes, it is. Here's the amazing thing about the work of God in this world. He chooses to do it through you and I, his people. Right? I'm sure there's lots of ways he could have set up this thing to work. But what he does is ask us, call us, invite us into what he's doing. There's no sweeter fellowship found than in joining God, both on a heart level and an actual level, and living for what he's doing. Joining him as as. Henry Blackaby, in Experiencing God, said, find out what God's doing and join him. Don't you want to be where he's at? Don't you want to see his power at work? He's at work in the harvest. And he says the laborers that will actually join him there are few. They're few. So what is the laborer's job? And I would just say this. Jesus laid it out clearly in Matthew 28. The laborer's job is summed up like this, make disciples of all nations, right? Your individual piece may look different. We're gifted different of the body. We're differing parts with one body In one body. We're, we're different, but we've got this in common. We're following the head, Jesus, and what he's doing, what he's doing in general, the general summary is he's making disciples of all the peoples. He's making disciples. And so whatever your particular gifting is, whatever your particular, what you say your calling is, whatever the way you're made, what we're to spend that gifting on is as a body, as ambassadors, as a holy nation, as a royal priesthood, we're to give ourselves to this work of making disciples of all nations. That includes the peoples that live right here in Ringo, Georgia and Clarkston, Georgia and the unreached peoples that live in the uttermost parts of the earth who haven't heard that gospel message. You and I are called to care about that happening. We're commanded to care about that happening. We exist as a church to see that happening. Make disciples of all nations. Disciple making is the work of harvesting. That's evangelistic and missionary. Working for the harvest and the light of the harvest is the ongoing mission of the church. God from the beginning set out to have a people for himself. We are sent as the church, as disciples. We are sent by the command of Christ and the work of his spirit to proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel, and for. This environment of us going and proclaiming the kingdom of God, proclaiming the gospel, speaking it, believing it, living it, communicating it, showing its power, going and proclaiming that. That's the environment that God is calling people to himself. That's the environment of the harvest. That's the environment where he's going to bring in the harvest from the uttermost parts of the earth into his kingdom. And what's tragic with that is while it's glorious that God is entrusting us with that task, God chooses to work through his people. Jesus, the one who is not limited at all, said the laborers are few. And that's tragic. It's tragic to know that at the heart of disciple making is sharing this message of the gospel. And if statistics are true... A large, like upwards of 80, 90% of believers never share the gospel with an unbeliever. I hope that's not true here. I hope that's not true in your life. You, you've heard good preaching from this pulpit to give you God's heart. You, you have the opportunity for the soul of your heart to be tilled up, to be tender to that. But I hope you're not just hearing that and letting it be filed away as some interesting fact, and not being transformed as a body of believers. There's nobody better positioned to reach your family than you. There's nobody better positioned on your job site to reach those who are far from God than you. There's nobody better positioned... To reach Ringo than you who live in it. It's not for somebody else. So, what is the laborer's job? It's making disciples of all nations. And then I will point out another thing. It's always very interesting to me. I love. In fact, I've grown to love it. I used to be perplexed by it, but now I love it. Right? Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. So the, there's not a lacking in the harvest. There's not a lacking in the need. There's not a lacking in And what's going on there? The laborers are few. So there's the problem. And here's his solution. He didn't first say, go. He first said, pray. Pray. Why is that? You know, us individualistic, do-it-ourselves kind of Americans, we're the ones that get perplexed by that. Because we say, hey, if there's a problem, then we need to be intelligent and smart and figure it out and to come up with the best solution. And Jesus says, you better start with this, pray. Because when you realize the harvest is plentiful and you realize the labors are few, I'm not asking you to come up with some ingenious plan from a humanistic level. I'm asking you to get in touch with my Father's heart. In other words, the reason that we pray is, number one, a laborer must be called by God and prepared by God. He must be called by God and prepared by God. What I mean by that is, not that you need to have a seminary education, not that you need to even be a believer for a long time, not that you need to hear some special stirring in your heart that you call your call. What I mean by that is, You've got to get God to go from I know some things in my head to I'm completely surrendered in my heart. That is the work that only God can do. You and I, in our best laid plans, can't get theological truth and facts from here to here. That takes the work of the Spirit of God. And that's why he says pray. Pray, number one, because... A laborer must be God-prepared and God-called. That doesn't let you off the hook. Don't go out here saying, well, if it's got to be God-called, I'm not called. You are called. Jesus said, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded, and I'll be with you in that. You've already been called. The, The calling that I'm talking about is, has God changed your heart to surrender to that? Has God showed you that to follow him means I'm a disciple who makes disciples? Jesus said to his first followers, follow me. That was his invitation. Great, we get to go be with Jesus. And I will make you. You're going to be with Jesus? He's going to transform you. Make you what? Fishers of men. You hang around Jesus, you're going to be changed. By intention, Intentionally changed. You're going to be reformatted to this world. You're not going to be able to see it the same way if you're walking with Jesus. And what he's going to transform you into is his kingdom work of I am drawing a people to myself. The reason the church exists as an outpost of the kingdom in this broken world is because I'm not done drawing a people, inviting a people, and calling a people from the harvest into my kingdom. I'm not done filling my house yet. And therefore the church exists in the world. Do you believe that? Believer, do you believe that? Or is this somebody that's got some special thing on his heart and trying to convince you and guilt? I'm not trying to guilt rid you. I'm trying to say pray. Because if it's not here, if it's here, if it's here and it's on God's heart and it's not here, you need to pray you and I need to pray if it doesn't break your heart that your neighbor is facing that end time harvest unprepared pray if it doesn't break your heart that there's people groups to where this message that we stumble over every day is not heard it's not heard in their language it's not heard in their culture They don't have access to it, and yet they're still accountable before God and going to stand on that great day of harvest outside of God's kingdom. That should break your heart. And if it doesn't, and where it doesn't, I mean, I have to be honest with you. A couple of weeks ago when I first met my friend Muslim al-Muhammad, and I was talking to him, and I was reasoning with him about the kingdom, and we had a good conversation. I was talking about the Lamb of God, and, and... And we had a good conversation about the gospel, and I was very clear about the gospel. And then we come up, visited in a church, and the message was about, uh, I forget what it was about, but it was in light of the coming judgment. It was in light of the coming judgment. And what the Lord used that to speak into my heart is to realize that, yes, I did my missionary task of sharing the gospel with Mazumel. But what he broke my heart over is I didn't plead with Mazumel as desperate as I needed to. In other words, Mazumel's response to the gospel is not, oh, well, I didn't say it right. You know, maybe I can say it better and I can convince him. Oh, Mazumel, if he just chooses to stay in his Muslim islamic religion he'll be okay you know maybe he'll just be a little bit better no mazamel will face god unprepared and i just saw in my heart through the preaching of god's word that i didn't care about that as much as i wanted to so i prayed god give me your heart let, let me let me not look at my muslim neighbors as a project let me look at them the way Jesus did. Jesus looked out over the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Those were the very crowds that would yell, crucify you, crucify him. Those were the very crowds that he had come to lay down his body and death for, that he was going to be separated. His father turned his back on him the first time in all of eternity because of those crowds. And what it says is he had compassion on them. That's the very context that he says, pray, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers because there's sheep without a shepherd and they're in trouble. So why pray? One, because a laborer must be God called and God prepared. And then two is, some of those laborers are going to come out of the harvest. And you and I, as crafty or as prepared or as equipped as we are, you and I cannot open the eyes of the blind. We cannot set the captives free. We cannot bring somebody from death to life. And so we pray. Because if in that culture that you're trying to engage, if there's labor is going to come out of it, it's going to be a work of the Spirit of God. Now, he's going to use your faithfulness to go take that gospel message, to surrender, to speak it, to share it, to love on them in the name of Jesus. He's going to use that environment, but it's going to need the Spirit of God to awaken in that person and bring new life. And that's why we pray. And if you don't take anything else out today, if you don't take anything else for your life or for the missionary tax, take this, pray. Pray earnestly. Plead with God for yourself, for the lost, for laborers, for the gospel to go. When you watch the news, don't join them in their bitterness and their divisiveness. Watch the news with a broken heart and pray. Pray for this country that we live in, pray for this world we live in, pray for God's kingdom to come. There is no other answers outside of God by His Spirit working through His church. There are no other answers that's going to fix it. You can cover it up with some laws. You can change regimes of of, of leaders. You can can fix the outside and it's going to pop up somewhere else in a different way and it's going to be the same thing that's been going on through all of human history. The most Powerful organism on the planet is God's people filled with God's spirit. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So we pray. Verse 3 says this. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You shouldn't do that. If you're a good shepherd, why would a good shepherd send his sheep in the midst of wolves? He doesn't say, you're living among wolves. He says, I am sending you as sheep among wolves. In other words, Jesus says, You're obedient to what I'm teaching you here. What is is the truth about what I'm doing is I, the good shepherd, am sending you, the sheep, into the midst of wolves. It's intentional. There's some reason for it. He's not cruel. He's not mean. But we need to ask ourselves, why is that true? Why? why? Part of the reason that prayer and laborers are needed is because... The work is hard. The reason we like getting together as the body of Christ because that's easy. The reason like, we like being around other believers is because that's good and that's easy. The reason we like singing praise song among one another is because that's easy. The reason we like doing Bible study is because thinking about the theological text and the, and the, and the systematic theology is easy. You know what's hard? going to your neighbor and talking about his need for Christ and the judgment to come and God's answer through the Lamb of God. That's hard. That's hard. Jesus talks about sheep without a shepherd, and that's a problem. Jesus talks about the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and that's a problem. And Jesus says here, his sheep, he's sending in the midst of wolves. That's not a problem. That's not a problem. And the reason is, is because Jesus is seeking lost sheep. His sheep are found. He's sending his sheep to the lost sheep. In the animal world, I I hate these shows because I hate seeing, you know, a big cat tackle a buffalo and, you know, kill it. I, I I don't like it. You know, I just don't like to see it. But in the animal world, those predators, what are they looking for? The weak and the vulnerable and the isolated, right? What is that? That's sheep without a shepherd. So why does Jesus send us among wolves? Because the wolves gather around the vulnerable and the weak. Jesus is seeking and to save. He wants the lost sheep to be brought back home. But the wolves are gathered around the lost sheep because they're the vulnerable. And Jesus cares enough as our good shepherd to send us into the midst of those wolves that he might bring his sheep out. And his care. So that's one reason that Jesus would do this, the good shepherd would send us in the midst of wolves. But the second reason is, is that in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, Jesus begins with this All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go. And he ends with this I am with you. Right? He says, I have all authority, I'm sending you on a mission, but don't fear, because I'll be with you. In other words, the experience of the closeness of Jesus comes as we engage in the harvest. One of the reasons it's tragic that most people are not sharing the gospel or trying to engage the lost people around them is because it is God's means of bringing his sheep home. And that's a tragedy that you and I would know that truth and not actually care enough to go to our neighbors. Okay? Care enough to go to the nations. That's tragic, that we would disobey Jesus and what's on his heart. But another thing that's tragic is that means that we've relegated the experience of Christ to simply these gatherings of worship Meaning this, yes, it's good that he dwells among his people in their praise. But if you want to experience his comfort, his power, the fellowship of his sufferings, the tender, still, small voice of his presence, get out there among the lost. And the good shepherd says, that's where I'm at. It's deceptive to say I'm safer in here as Jesus' sheep than I am out there among the wolves. And the reason is, is because you're not vulnerable. You have the good shepherd, right? He knows how to protect his sheep. He's sending you among wolves, not because you're going to be destroyed, but because he knows that's where the shepherd is seeking the lost sheep, and the majority of us never go there. We never go there. Chapter chapter 10, verse 1, and verses 4 through 9. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place. Where he himself was about to go. So I'm just reading here. Here's some some principles that Jesus is teaching us. And we're not going to break them all down. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Verse 4. Has come near to you. We're not going to break down all those principles, but that is good in your small group. You say, okay, if we're going to learn something from Jesus, from his instructions about how to engage Ringo, Georgia, and the ends of the earth, let's break down, let's look at those. I'm just going to summarize them for you because this is not the this is not the training place. I want you to catch God's heart here. You can you can go back to the text, but here's here's some principles that we can learn from is teaching here that we can apply even to ourselves. He says go two by two. In other words, get a partner. There may be several reasons for that. One is by two or three witnesses the truth is established. One is accountability. I, I don't know about you, but I can I can get myself out of something as long as I know somebody else is not depending on me, right? And so maybe two by two, maybe it's maybe it's just for partnership like like god doesn't do anything in isolation like so maybe it's just that fellowship in that he says take no extras travel a lot stay focused right one of the biggest things in the harvest is that we get distracted what i mean by that one of the biggest things living in this world is we get distracted one of my biggest distractions is going on right now college football and nfl football Say, so is it a sin to watch that? No, nope. It's a sin for me when there's multiple things on my priority list to veg out hour upon hour upon hour upon hour. In the sense of it just becomes a distract- distraction, right? My Kimberly's going to say, okay, so why'd you watch the game yesterday? You know, she's my loving accountability. Uh, but no extras. Travel light and stay focused. Somebody said, I don't remember what the context was, but they just they just observed that sometimes in church world we make things so complicated. Jesus seems to say here, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Go with the message, but go, right? Travel light, stay focused, speak peace, and if received, stay and invest more time. Receive hospitality from others. And minister in home or life settings, right? Don't you get the feel that he, says, that he says, go and stay at that home. Go speak your peace. If they receive you in, eat with them and stay there. It's, he's, he's encouraging us that evangelism and missions and engaging lostness is more about what we do life on life in real life situations than it is some event that we plan, right? Enter their world. Enter their world, right? We've got a bad habit, too, of of just think about how hard it is for a Muslim to even contemplate walking in the doors of this church. And if I've relegated that the only place that's possible for them to hear the Gospels is if they walk through the doors of this church and sit in here. And here's what I'll tell you. If you want to get a glimpse of how difficult it is, Think about how difficult it would be for you to walk into a Muslim mosque on Friday prayers when there's hundreds and hundreds of Muslims around praying. How difficult would it be for you to enter that foreign situation? Okay, And what I'm getting at there is that this is we go with the gospel. We are the ones who call to become like I become like all so that I might win some, right? We're to enter their culture. We're to communicate the gospel in their culture, on their terms. That's that's why I said planting a small group growing up in Christ is my goal. I'm not talking to these four or five Muslim men trying to convince them, hey, Sunday morning there's going to be a gathering in this building. Come with me. I'm trying to show them who Jesus is. And then they can come to faith in Christ and by God's Spirit learn to live it out. Do you understand what I'm saying there? And more and more and more it's true even in our white, evangelical, American, Christian culture. More and more this is true. This is not an attractive place for people. There there used to be a time where the church was looked at as something good for the community. The church and the Christian community was looked at. If you want to get your life together and better yourself, you go to the church. I don't know if you've noticed, that's not true anymore. Even in our white American culture, that's not true anymore. That's not the way your lost neighbors are thinking anymore. It seems impossible for them to walk through this door. I was thinking the other day, I wanted my dad to. I've I just. I've been sharing the gospel with my dad. I've been inviting him to Jesus. I've been talking to him about those things, and and I, I want him to. I want him to come to faith in Christ, but I also live a distance from him. And I, I've told him. I said, you know, Dad, you need to show up at a church one day. You need to just show up. And I, I played this card. You know, my dad is is single, and I said, there's lots of godly women there. <laughs> And, and the other day, I called, and we had a Sunday that we weren't tied to anything, and I said, Dad, I'll come up with you and go to church. We'll go to whatever church you want to. I'll come up and go with you because I want him to go. And I got to thinking through all the churches in his area, and I thought, I don't know if they're good or bad, but I was trying to think like my dad, and I thought, I don't think any of them's going to feel comfortable to him. In other words, what I realize is that the best chance of my dad hearing the gospel is not sitting, showing up and sitting on a pew. I can do that, and hopefully the gospel is being faithfully preached from pulpits, and God by His grace can do that, but the best chance of hearing, hearing the gospel is through my lips. The best chance of him hearing the gospel is like he told me the other day. He went to the doctor and there was a pastor who happened to carry a handgun, which just in God's grace connects with my dad really well. You know, he's this kind of rough kind of, kind of guy. But this pastor carried a handgun, and he shared with him how he wouldn't ever use it. He shared with him how somebody punched him in the face in the midst of his congregation, and he never reached for his gun. So he wasn't a violent man, but he just happened to carry a handgun because of the place he lived. And that connected with my dad. And this, and this pastor there in the doctor is sharing the gospel with him. That's my dad's chance of hearing the gospel. He went to buy some lights for his garage. And this guy and his son that he was buying the lights from began talking to him about Christ and faith in Christ and asking him if he believed and and how to get into the kingdom of God. Those are the places my dad's going to hear the gospel. But let me tell you something. If you and I as God's people aren't speaking the gospel in those places, there's no opportunity to hear. And and that's my point. to, To summarize all of that section to say this, you and I have got to go get in people's lives. We've got to get outside. We've got to take the gospel to people in their context. Whether that's the context of Ringgold, Georgia, your neighborhood, or the context of a foreign culture, you and I are called to go communicate the gospel to them. Okay, Don't rely on the gospel only being spoken by whoever's standing in this pulpit, and hopefully we can get somebody to come through the doors of this church. It's just not happening. It's not the best opportunity. It's not even the way God's arranged for the gospel to be heard. The church is about the church. The church is the gathering of believers so that we can be equipped by God's word. We may be stirred by his spirit. We can be lovingly accountable. We can get strength from one another. We can confess sins and pray together corporately for our community. And then we all are dispersed as missionaries to Ringo, Georgia as we walk out the door. Oh, we got to go. So be equipped. Be equipped. Be equipped. All right, I'm going to read this last passage, and I'm going to make a quick application. And I apologize. We won't charge any extra for the overtime. Chapter 10, verses 10 through 12 says this. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its street and say, even the dust of your town that clings to, your, to our feet, wipe, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. That's what you're bringing. That's what you and I bring. We're bringing the kingdom of God near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And and all I want to point out there is that this is eternally critical. This is not about what kind of church? Are we going to be a missions church? Are we going to be? This is about, are we going to be the people of God? You see, missions is not some side element. It's not some we do this and we do this and we do this and we do missions. Mission and the mission of God and missions. Engaging this lost world, including crossing cultures, is at the heart of God. It's at the heart of what he's doing. It's at the heart of what we are as a church. It's not a side issue. And it's eternally critical. In other words, to refuse this offer of the kingdom is to stand in danger of the wrath of God. And here's the tough part for you and I. I don't know if we believe that. But then secondly, even if we feel like we believe it on an internal level, the fact that we won't warn people means that we don't really believe it. We we don't really believe it. In other words, in our heart of hearts, we need to struggle with this. Your culture, my culture, our culture says that if you're one of those who might warn sinners of the wrath of God, and His judgment? In the midst of sharing the gospel, the good news, if if you warn sinners of the wrath of God and His judgment that will come to those who are outside of His kingdom, you're considered old-fashioned or judgmental or even abusive in this culture. Here's my question. Do you believe, apart from Christ, People are facing God as a judge. Do you really believe that? And the question if you believe it is, has God taken it from, yes, I believe it here, to yes, I'm broken by it here. I'm broke enough to say that if the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, God, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go to my neighbors, whatever it costs me. I'm willing to go to my family members, whatever it costs me. I'm willing to go to the nations, whatever it costs me, if that's what you tell me, Lord. So, what do we do? We pray. This is your response. This is is you, not just agreeing. Agreeing. What do I legitimately do as a member of the body of Christ? What I legitimately do is just Pray. Learn to be a praying people. Pray for laborers. Pray for blind eyes to be open. Pray for God to sin. Pray for God to make you willing. Pray for God's heart to be in this church and in His people. Pray for revival in America in the sense of a, a blowing of God's Spirit that in the midst of our world not even knowing what it means to be male and female anymore, that God would bring His kingdom to bear in this broken land. Pray. Pray. Pray desperately because we are desperate. Pray. Give. Give of yourself. Give of your time. Give of your opportunity. Give of your job. Give of your funds. Give of who you are and what you have for God's kingdom. Give. It's not a life that's wasted. Give of yourself. Give. And then go. Here's your response. Go. And I mean by that in every way. Go to your neighbors. Go to your workplace. Go to your family members. And go to the ends of the earth if God tells you to do it. But go. And don't go someday. Someday. Go today, go tomorrow, go next week, go, go, bring the kingdom to bear in this broken world. Bring the kingdom to bear in Ringo, Georgia. Bring the kingdom to the unreached peoples of the earth. Pray, give, and go as a way of life. Do you want to actually engage? In the truth of a missions conference, pray and give and go as a way of living. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. I do pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would have your heart, and we realize that the experience that you desire for us is to walk with you, Jesus. May you find us faithful as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.